this is sales ops demystified the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations we invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why what and how behind rep productivity forecasting metrics and all things revenue this podcast is brought to you by ebster the leading customer engagement platform for salesforce Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. My name is Tom Hunt and today we're joined by Yahir Rain, who is currently running Sales Ops at Essentia. Now, I'm super excited for two reasons. First of which is I just generally really like Australian people or, or people with an Australian accent because I am actually not 100% sure. Um, and so that's the first reason. And the second is I know that you're here has approximately or maybe slightly more than a decade experience in this field. So you're here. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having me. So let's, let's kick this off and understand your, your background before sales ops. What were you doing and why did you choose to transition over? Um, I actually came out of uni and I started off my career early on as a management consultant. So um, you get quite involved in management consulting and kind of experiencing different industries, um, different projects. You work on quite a bit of breadth uh, in terms of the experience that you gain uh, as part of the job. And when I wanted to do an MBA, right? One of the reasons kind of doing the MBA was to look for something that was a bit more hands-on, a bit more practical, something that you can kind of commit to the organization, become part of its DNA, right? And after doing my MBA, I said, I'll start looking for kind of roles that are a bit more involved probably in the operational side of the business. I didn't want to go primarily for a full kind of operational role. I wanted still to have that dynamics that you get or the speed of execution that you get with sales and sales operations just seem to be that kind of natural fit. Um, It's one of those roles that usually um, encompasses kind of all the skill sets that you bring along from management consulting. So you bring that kind of financial know-how, the commercial acumen, a bit of strategic kind of understanding as well. And you bring that all kind of together into a single role. And that's really the focus of what, or at least that's what the purpose of what I was looking for kind of after a post-MBA stint was. So we're looking at just over a decade in the game. What has changed in the world of sales ops since you you started out speed right so uh, one is systems definitely are evolving a lot faster and they're being embedded in organizations quite a lot faster Uh, when i started off you know you used to go through kind of erp changes every now and then the organizations were relatively stable for a period of time and you used to go through um, revolutionary changes once every five six years it seems that it's becoming a bit more rapid everything's a bit more accelerated now in the industries the technologies are changing 
nearly annually, right? So you, you need to kind of adapt and adopt a lot faster. Uh, the, the experience that you gain around systems has to be even broader than what it was before. And the speed in which you need to work along with the sales team is a lot faster than what it used to be. They need to be trained faster. They're moving quicker. There's more staff turnover than what you had in the past. And the industry in general, right, is just seems to be a bit more competitive and a bit faster. So you just need to keep up with the pace. And um, whereas in the past we could sit back and learn probably new systems, new roles as they were happening, what we're seeing right now in the industry is you nearly need to learn as you kind of embed, right? So you've got to be extremely agile and extremely um, flexible in terms of your approach. And you also need to have a real thirst for just learning. Right, because you constantly learn in these types of roles. And on on that note, could you share a little bit more about the current tech stack you're, that you're running? So CRM is kind of the base, right? So you start with any kind of CRM solution. Right now we're working with Salesforce, but in the past I've also worked with systems like Siebel, SAP, and NetSuite. Um, it's definitely that kind of trying to create that center of the organization around that CRM or CRM sitting around the organization. Um, you do usually have an ERP piece somewhere involved. Um, although we're not really immersed in that, um, it does impact the role quite a bit. So there's a bit of a know-how that you need to bring in in terms of ERP solutions and then definitely some visualization tools like um, Power BI or Click or uh, using even Tableau today is starting to become a must in this type of role. And like anybody else, right, Excel is your best friend in this role. So you've got to bring that along with you anywhere. Yeah, I actually have a background in management consulting and that's the thing that I took away, I think, well, the most useful thing I took away was Excel skills. So I assume <laughs> you've been developing them since you left uni. Absolutely, honing them, right? So I still remember my first lesson in uni when they introduced me to Excel. And I went, wow, this is quite an amazing thing. Um, and 20 years on, just about, um, I'm still learning. So it just shows you the scope of the tool. And it's absolutely amazing what you can do with it. And I can't imagine actually doing anything without it. Yeah. Now, let's fast forward to today and assume you and the team have been more remote over the past few months. Could you share any changes you've made, whether in technology, cultural or operational, to respond to this new way of working? Yep. Um, So I've got... My team spread geographically quite kind of fast. And um, even in Australia, most of my team is not sitting in Sydney where I sit. Um, I've got teams sitting in WA and in Victoria. And so quite a distance away. So we're already used to working remotely. And we were used to working remotely before COVID hit us. I've also got quite a big uh, team sitting in Manila um, as a support function for a billing and for a account support as well. The biggest challenge that we had immediately when COVID hit is like any team in Manila is the surprise of the immediate shutdown that we had over there and the fact that we needed to wake up the next morning and actually face the new reality where um, hardware was scarce, um, the access to the internet services was quite limited and we had to kind of bring a lot of that uh, workload back on shore in the short term until Manila could actually ramp up. 
a few good things that happened to us probably before COVID just kicked in. We just moved the entire organization into G Suite. Um, and that definitely eased the transition when COVID hit us. We were already used to doing quite a bit of um, a hangout meetings. Um, we were getting quite into the rhythm and the pace of using all the collaborations within G Suite. So that was already starting to be embedded. And it was really just getting the people with access to hardware and to the internet connections that they needed in order to bring us back to 100% capacity. Um, so we haven't adapted too much in terms of the way we work. It's just all of a sudden just getting used to having mainly our Manila team working from home and at the same time kind of having these regular face-to-faces uh, -face kind of through uh, hang or only through Hangouts. Um, th the other piece around it was also around the level of engagement that we needed to have with those teams as well. So the intensity of the engagement has definitely increased. We're now looking at more and more of these meetings. We still have our daily stand-ups every day, and that's definitely something that we might look at keeping. Um, but all in all, we are back to 100% capacity. We've adapted quite quickly. It took us maybe about two weeks to turn around uh, everything from working from home, closing down the offices, getting the hardware to the people, and making sure that everybody's um, able to access the systems. That took us maybe about two weeks to do. Nice, relatively fast. Have yeah. the, um, your targets or objectives changed over the past few months? Um, yes, absolutely. So the, the focus has definitely moved from a longer term projects into the immediate needs. Um, there's still a focus around product design, product development. Anything that's customer facing is still going to be key and core into what we develop. But other, other solutions that are not a must, that are not defined as an essential piece, an immediate piece, have definitely been delayed. So we've seen projects that have been part of our key kind of goals and key objectives just stretch out in terms of their delivery. Um, Sales-wise, from a commercial perspective, we've actually held to the numbers that we had before. And coming from an industry that looks at media monitoring, we are built for crisis management. So uh, we did have at least as much as we were impacted from COVID and a lot of the businesses going um, uh, struggling and going into a, a freeze period, we've also seen some real good spending coming from government and we've managed to balance that out quite well. So short term, we've managed our objectives quite okay within reason. There's not been too much of a deviation from what we said initially that we'd achieve, but we are seeing more and more uh, probably long-term uh, impacts of COVID as we see that crisis piece start dying down for us. Yeah. And then moving on to the forecasting, I like. has there been any change or challenge with your forecasting process with the like, I guess for you guys, it might even be increased demand for the product. And if yes, how do you how can you create confidence in that forecast? So as a subscription-based business, we, we had a relatively stable forecast model, right? And we were developing as and continuously kind of uh, working out better ways to do it. Um, the challenge that we saw with COVID is really the swap all of a sudden. All of a sudden, uh, being a very subscription-focused business, um, 
the stability that we saw with a lot of our revenue wasn't there anymore. We started seeing a lot more short-term agreements come through, a higher value ones, but a lot shorter term. The longer term customers were slowly disappearing. Um, so the challenges around the forecast was we weren't really built to forecast that kind of transactional business. A, the good news was it nearly happened as a swap. So as much as we saw those transactional short-term deals come through, we did see other things come out and that balanced the number overall, but it did show quite a bit of variability when you went into the detail. In terms of then building trust in a in forecast, I think we've been building trust in the forecast over months, right? So, or over at least a year that I've been in the role with Icentia, where we've constantly had to prove, right, that we could get to a level of forecast accuracy by doing certain things, by reviewing trends, by uh, putting in variables where we knew that they need to come in, um, by managing the, our volume-based revenue as well in a certain way. We've already built that forecast and that trust within the stakeholders. What we've seen so far in terms of the fluctuations, we've managed it in exactly the same approach that we had beforehand, and we've seen the same results in terms of the stability of the forecast. We haven't seen a loss or a significant loss in that trust, in those trust levels, right, because of the COVID at all. Awesome. So my next question was typically, how would you improve that process? But it seems like you guys don't need to. Well, you constantly need to improve it. Our crystal ball's not there yet, right? So um, because we're a subscription-based business, you do have a bit more security in your forecast. Um, you don't need to forecast probably for 80% of the business revenue, um, but there's still an element of that 20%, and that's the art of getting it right. We're constantly tweaking it. We're constantly looking at better ways to do it, uh, looking at it in more detail, for instance, um, looking at more impacts in the market, looking at maybe even splitting a segment performance to actually determine different behaviors within different segments. So we're constantly reviewing that. But that's really just to round up the overall number and get it slightly better. Overall, right now, we're sitting at about 97 98% forecast accuracy. So really, it's the perfectionist in us actually trying to get to the 100%, which is probably a bit utopian, but um, mm. we can always aspire. But there's always room to actually improve it. There's always room to do it better. And there's, it's definitely kind of been a good exercise for us to go through. Yeah. Next, moving on to metrics, which has been a or one of the most valuable sales-related metrics that you have uh, that you really like to follow or that you really get excited about uh, reviewing? Um, personally, for me, it's always been the activity metrics. Um, I believe it's the only ones that are within our control, the only ones that the salespeople can really influence. And from my experience, what I've seen is those activity metrics drive also pipeline behaviors and also conversions um, after that. So for me, it's really looking at the basics, right, around getting your people out there, making the calls, uh, going to meetings, engaging the customers, making sure that you've got good coverage uh, in terms of your C-level or your decision-maker customers, a uh, clientele that you need to talk to. That, for me, nearly drives everything after that. So when we try to talk to um, conversion rates or getting your pipeline in or improving your performance to revenue, for me, it's all starting from the activity. Base metrics makes sense. So the amount of 
emails sent to the amount of calls made. Absolutely, meetings taken. Uh, yes, those ones. Yeah, and actually, nothing. Those didn't change throughout the virus. Like you still, they still held their value, just as they would do for the last ten years. A hundred percent. So we haven't changed any of the targets around those. They're still there. They still sound even in the days of Zoom and Hangouts. They're still the critical ones for us to follow. Awesome. Now onto the two most important questions. So, who? Um, in your whole career related to sales ops, has taught you the most? Um, it is an interesting question. I did have to think about it quite a bit. Um, there's definitely two influences in my life and for different reasons that I've focused on. Uh, my dad's always been a key influence for me. He's the person that got me into consulting to begin with. And that's kind of developed a lot of the strategic thinking that I bring into sales operations today. Um, Consulting as a whole, right, teaches you just how to think about a problem, right, how to approach a solution. Sometimes not not to fear a big kind of um, hairy, audacious problem, right, but just to step into it, break it down into very simple form and just kind of work through the bottlenecks until you get through it. That's proven quite useful then when I took it into sales operations because you bring that into systems implementation or into change management, that really helps as foundation. So that's definitely been key to um key to a lot of the uh, uh, projects that i've delivered so far and it's, it's been really a foundational piece for me in terms of what i've delivered in sales operations um the second one is actually a manager that i had not long ago and still a very good friend and for me the one thing that he introduced to me is the step away from the technical solution and the focus on the or balancing the technical solution that you deliver alongside the change management piece. And he was definitely an advocate for change management across the board for success of anything. So the simple view that he had in mind and the simple view that kind of he used to share in everything that he did was really around a good outcome is usually delivered by not only a great technical solution, but really great change management. And my focus really moved away from not just doing the good kind of behind the scenes, getting the systems right, getting the processes to work, but really focusing as much energy on anything to do with training, onboarding, um, any kind of hand-holding that goes after that. And he's definitely kind of influenced me all through and through until this very day when I start a project. I still divide the page into two where I focus on what needs to be delivered and how I'm going to manage the messaging behind it. Amazing. I've actually never heard that structure before, uh, but I'm going to steal that. So it's on, on one side, what, what we're trying to deliver, and then the another half of the page is just focused on how to communicate that. 100%. Amazing. Um, cool. And then final question, who, yeah, and it may be someone that you do or don't know that's uh, related to sales ops, would you love to take for lunch? It, it's an interesting one. Um, I do have to say, I don't know a lot of great sales ops people in the field, and that's maybe not because there aren't any. It's just in Australia, maybe it could be. It's just not as big a market as the US, so maybe that's definitely influencing that. Um for me, it's mainly taking the people from sales out to lunch. And um, we've got some great sales leaders that I work with today and that I've worked with in the past. 
they're my clients more than anything, right? We, we've got our external customers, absolutely. But in terms of understanding their needs, they've been a really big driver for me. It's nobody in particular. There's no probably person that I'd say he's the one I want or she's the one I want to come into that session. For me, it is really around just general understanding around what's changing for them in the market and understanding how that's going to kind of influence me and impact me later on Uh, when it does come downstream and there's a need to come up with a technical solution or a system in place to help them solve it. I think that's such an important answer. And and there's such like a deep... The, the message behind it really is that as a sales person, you have to understand the people that you are serving, right? And so that's well, one of the, my favorite answers to that question we've had so far because I highlight the importance for that. Um, amazing. You're here. I, I, I can really tell that you are you're quite a almost methodolog- methodological or like um, calm, confident, passionate sales ops person from this discussion um it seems like you have almost principles around how this field should be run and then it seems like you and Isentia have just been quite steady and have adhered to those principles throughout the last six months so it was super interesting to um hear your journey so thank you for for coming on absolute pleasure thank you Tom. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.